It's time for episode 343 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where this day may be the Earth's, but this half hour is ours. I'm Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as always, across the internet by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I'm honestly a little nervous because I feel like you just challenged the Earth, and that's a gauntlet you really don't want the Earth to pick up. (laughs) Come at me, Earth! Come at me! Oh, no. Uh, I'm not part of this Earth, okay? Uh, All right, this is, of course, the tech show where we have two wonderful guests joining us this week. To my left, a first-timer here on Clockwise, but we're delighted to have him here. It is the head of podcast at DC Thompson Media, Christopher Finn. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hello. I'm very well. I'm in my garden. It is warm, at least warm for Scotland, but it is gorgeous. (laughs) I'm jealous. I am super jealous. It's very Earth Day appropriate, I must say. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I thought thought, you know, I'd, I'd show willing. <laughs> I love uh, the I love the bird song background. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely real. I haven't piped it in. It's not like I've done I've done a sort of rogue amoeba loop back thing to like bed <laughs> in some bird song under what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, to my left is editor at IT Pro Today, as well as a well-known podcaster on the incomparable and writer of the excellent So What Who Cares newsletter and all-around thought leader, at least in my book. It's Lisa Schmeiser. <laughs> Oh my god, Mike, I'm like, I'm squealing at a level that only dogs can hear. That's such a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. It's well known that Micah does the best introductions. I, I only aspire to match him on that. All right. I'm going to kick things off today with the first topic. I'm curious, given our current world situation, is there a tech concept or a kind of technology, software, hardware, whatever, that you have changed opinions on based on the way we live now? Uh, Maybe something that you poo-pooed, but now you find actually really useful, or something that you thought might be essential, but that actually turned out to be kind of inconsequential for you. Chris, why don't you lead us off here? So not exactly what you say, but I did the other day suddenly realize that I had been trying to make time to go and talk to some of my colleagues across the business about a particular little thing. I've been trying to make time to go and train them in something and I could never get them to, you know, put the time aside for me. It always dropped down their priority list and it was really stressed me out. And I suddenly realized the other day, hey, since I'm at home and I can't see my colleagues anyway, why don't I just record as a screencast and then put it on YouTube and I can send the link and they can watch it that way. And then I thought, well, why did I not do that? (laughs) (laughs) When I was in the office, there was literally nothing stopping me recording the screencast from my desk in the office and then sending them the link, which hadn't occurred to me. So, yes, so my um, uh, bold new technology that I'm championing is (laughs) screencasts. I think that for the most part, it's got to be gaming. I, uh, I'm i not a big gamer. I've talked before about how it's not on my phone. Uh, I don't keep that stuff around usually, but in in these trying times, um, I, I I found that it's not necessarily it's that it's useful. It's that it's a uh, it's sort of how bread is a conveyance method for <laughs> delicious materials. Mm-hmm. Um, games, it's a substrate, <laughs> exactly. It's a substrate. <laughs> it, it, it's a conveyance method uh, to to spend time with people, and so in, in that way, gaming of all sorts, be it uh, house party and things like that, uh, are the way that I've I've enjoyed uh, spending time with friends. What about you, Lisa? Don't be distracted by the bird song. <laughs> well, the glib answer is I don't really need to use Google Maps right 
right now. (laughs) (laughs) But the longer answer is uh, Google Sheets has become invaluable because you know, it's collaborative, it's easily shared. What I've what I've actually found is that most of the tools I use for collaboration are getting much more of a workout now from um, I use Apple's notes app to uh, keep a running grocery list. And I share that out with my husband, and we can both edit it. And that's getting a lot of work now since grocery shopping now takes a level of planning ahead and coordination. Mm -hmm. It didn't before we can no longer just pop out to the store and get something. And I've been using Google Sheets to coordinate um, resources with volunteer groups and to try to coordinate standing play date standing like um facetime play dates with with friends so that we're not always texting people in the middle of their work day when they're also distracted instead there's just a schedule we can all refer to um google sheets has also been great for you know again tracking groceries in terms of inventory things like that so um i have covered collaboration as a beat for my job and been kind of rah-rah about it because I get to see it in action and talk to people who make it all the time. I've really come on board with uh, digital collaborative tools as a way to keep things running smoothly when you are dealing with geographic dispersal and resource management and asynchronous communication and needing to move information places. Mm, yeah, that's great. I, I, for me, I'm going to break my question slightly and say there's a technology I see promise in that before I might have poo-pooed a bit more, and that is both the augmented reality and virtual reality because I was listening to a news story this morning talking about kids in classes and getting frustrated you know with kids interacting with their peers on Zoom and stuff like that the limitations thereof and it really made me think about how you know VR has seemed like something very aimed at say gaming as a primary focus and while that still might be true I'm interested to see if people come out of this with new applications in terms of the sort of those collaborative and virtual meeting spaces maybe being more useful in case we find ourselves in situations like this more often Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot of potential promise there and it makes me feel like maybe apple is being very prescient in focusing on Mm -hmm. it so much even if we haven't seen the applications yet but those are all great thoughts Mm -hmm. around let's move on to our second topic which comes from chris so my question is uh what age is too young to get kids into tech and this was uh, brought into mind by the fact that today literally today i took delivery of my daughter's second ipod touch she is four and a half um, and she had her first iPod Touch when she was two for her Christmas on her just after her second birthday. Um, and I got it because I thought, frankly, I wanted to get her a camera. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to get her a camera, I'm going to get her an iPod because it's a camera and it does a whole bunch of other stuff. And I, I am fully, I don't really subscribe to the sort of poo pooing of screen time, the evils of screen time that kids spend because she is so creative with it. She's so much fun that she gets so much out of it. And and I, I just wonder if. I mean, we're a bunch of tech techies, right? We we like technology, mm-hmm. so maybe there's going to be a, just a, around the table. No, everything's fine. But what age is too young? <laughs> so I love this question because I come uh, my, my sort of approach is is from the fascination of both technology and psychology and how mm. those can sometimes overlap. And I will go forth and say that I am not a uh, a father to any humans, and I am not... Um, <laughs> That's a, a terrifying vision. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or psychotherapist, but um, I know one uh, <laughs> in, mm. in Canada, and Georgia Dow is kind of my sort of... Um, go-to person when it comes to stuff like this. And so, you know, I have to go and quote her and sort of, I guess not quote, but paraphrase just to say that um, I think that, I think that, like you said, it, 
to open up a world of creativity and possibility is fantastic. And I also think that um, the tech literacy is very important going forward. And the earlier you can, along with teaching your kids more than one language, that you teach them the coding language is fantastic uh, because it's a skill that's going to be required in the future should we survive it. And um, I, I think that in those cases, it's very good. I think that the poo-pooing comes from a very reasonable place, um, and it, it's a very specific thing. And that is when uh, screen time and technology are used to distract a child or keep a child uh, keep a child's attention, uh, because I think mm-hmm. that that's the consideration to make. But once you've got that figured out, I don't know that there is an age that's too young, except an infant who might swallow an iPhone somehow. <laughs> I, did, I did like the fact that my, my daughter's first technology she ever used was an Apple Watch. Like when I held her in my arms, she would touch my Apple Watch. Aww. Okay, so with the caveat, I, ha- I have a nine-year-old. Um, so I'm coming at this from somebody who's been wrestling with this topic since um, I had a baby and um, <laughs> a smartphone, more or less at the same time. <laughs> and um, the uh, In America, there's... Um, a guideline, the American Pediatric Association says, generally speaking, please don't stick your kid in front of a giant blinking screen before they're two. There's neurological stuff that might happen. My thinking on the guidelines is they come from people who do this stuff for a living, who um, research, it's a it's a deliberative body. That said, I will cop to showing my daughter sign language videos on mm. an iPhone when I was like desperate to distract her or desperate to, to just, you know, take five minutes like in a line at a restaurant or something before she was two. And um, what was really positive about that is we would do sign language videos together and she learned to sign before she could talk. Didn't as a result, like that was a great, a great use of technology. I'll be honest. (laughs) And so, and so I think my approach to technology is this guidelines are helpful as a starting point, but what it comes down to is you have to know your kid's temperament And you have to ask yourself, what are you hoping they'll get out of the technology? And so the way that we generally approach it with our daughter now is um, what do we need her to understand or know about the technology? For example, I just started letting her use Facebook Messenger for kids to um, talk with chat with friends of hers uh, remotely. And when we installed it, we let her know you have no reasonable expectation of privacy on this application, not from us, because we reserve the right to read everything you send to your friends and vice versa. And you have to understand Facebook reads everything you send, and they're going to use that information to try to sell you things later. And they're going to use that information to learn things about you. So you need to decide whether that's okay. Um, and, and these are the types of conversations we have with her about everything, um, from from apps on her tablets to how long how long she can use them. So I don't think age is ever going to be a really useful guideline, except perhaps in a really fundamental biological sense, such as please don't show your six month old psych- <laughs> psychedelic videos. But <laughs> I do think that you know the question you should be asking is. How will this how will this help or hinder my kid based on the personality traits I know they have? And what am I hoping they'll get out of this technology? Am I hoping they can express creativity? Am I hoping that they can do self-directed learning? Am I hoping they can communicate with friends? Am I hoping they learn am I'm hoping they pick up a new skill and just govern the use from there? 
Yeah, I mean, so I'll, like Mike, I'll say I'm, I'm not a parent. I'm not a professional in these matters. But I, I think, Lisa, you know, you've sort of hit the nail on the head here with this idea that, like, there's no one-size-fits-all approach here, right? With the exception mm-hmm. of, you know, I think that the very, very young um, children, look, technology is going to be a part of their lives, right? I mean, unless the, the whole world falls into a post-apocalyptic state, which is possible. Anything could happen. Uh, but, like, you know, Chris was talking about his, his daughter using the Apple Watch while he was holding her. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're, you can't avoid it, right? Like, unless you're going to decide you want to move off to, like, a commune, which, hey, uh, you know, that's your call. But in terms of the way that society is going to progress, you can't really avoid it. So I think, you know, it's not so much necessarily just about a flat date of, like, all right, before this time, don't expose some technology and after this time it's fine just go wild it's like use some judgment and try to figure out as lisa was saying like what is how do you want to manage that with your kid like how what do you want them to know how do you want them to educate how do you want them to be informed about it because i think you know none of us would uh, argue that totally depriving your kid of technology is a good approach either we we've all probably learned tons of stuff on tech and i know when i was a teenager you know this like in the World Wide web was just sort of starting out at that point I learned a lot from that, like, and I learned a lot about, you know, technology and coding and all this stuff. And so it was incredibly valuable. Um, and so I think there's, you know, like with everything, there's some moderation involved, both in terms of the amount and in terms of how it's being used. Uh, and I think that there's really, you know, kids are going to use technology. And if if they don't find out about it from you, they're going to learn about it on the street. Uh, <laughs> Chris, any last quick thoughts to wrap up this one? I think that um when i bought the thing for my daughter it was there, there was no so, so to lisa's point there was no um i want her to do this i want her to get this out of it i'm i've got a slightly more abstract notion of um letting folk figure out how they can make stuff work the best for them and i haven't t- for a, neither my wife or i have for a second said to my daughter we're going to manage your screen time we're going to say you know this much is too much she's just herself um jumps between painting on the windows and uh, you know throwing things on the floor <laughs> and <laughs> running about in the scooter and she you know, the, the iPod's just a, a, a part of her play it's great I, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that she hasn't needed any kind of management or guidance for it all right that's two topics down two topics left to go which of course means it's halftime here at clockwise and this week's episode is brought to you by our good friends at linode whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure linode has the pricing support and scale you need to take your project to the next level They have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you will get access to native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and industry-leading processors, nanode plans starting as low as $5, dedicated CPU plans with physical cores reserved just for you, block storage and object storage that can scale to your storage requirements, and so much more. Go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2020 when creating a new Linode account. You'll get $20 credit towards your next project. Oh, and Linode is hiring right now, so if that's something that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash clockwise and the promo code clockwise2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, that is halftime sorted. Micah, what do you got for us? Uh, so there was a, a new report in The Verge talking about how 
Google is releasing an update for its uh, Google Assistant that will let you sort of change the sensitivity for smart devices. So you can make it so that, yes, more often it uh, hears, hey, boo-boo, and responds to it. I am curious, do you have smart assistants in your home? And if you do, how often are they accidentally triggered and also how do you respond when they are triggered? Lisa, we'll start with you. Does Siri count? Just yes. making sure before yes. I Okay. <laughs> so we I, I had this happen yesterday, um, which I think speaks to an interesting gap in um, what I would think of as a fluid computing experience. And let me just tell the story super quickly. So... I have a giant plant in our kitchen, a huge viney ivy type thing. And I was installing, I was installing like those command hooks. They're basically these plastic hooks that love little sticky backs and you have to hold them in place on the wall for 30 seconds so that the, so that the, um, adhesive can stick. And I held up my wrist with my watch and I said, Hey Siri, set a timer for 30 seconds. And right as my watch responded with, okay, setting a timer for 30 seconds, Siri on my computer said, I can't do that. Would you like me to set, I can't do this on this computer. Would you like me to set a reminder for you instead? And, um, repeated itself a few times. And I thought to myself, you know, this almost makes no sense. Why can't Siri be smart enough to identify the source of the query as opposed to just being triggered by my voice. Um, why doesn't the concept of me as Lisa flow across my phone, my tablet, my computer, my watch, and and be contextually dependent? Um, the way I responded was basically I just stood there for 30 seconds while Siri yelled at me, and then I, you know, hopped off the ladder and, and you know, <laughs> negated the reminder. But um, in terms of re- responding, it was basically, no, 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 except I couldn't say no, because then I lose the timer on my phone. <laughs> so, so again, it just basically triggered a bigger question in my mind about how could Apple improve Siri, where Siri has a notion of me as a discrete set of data that interacts with it, um, and how it chooses to respond is dependent on the source of the query, mm-hmm. because certainly it should have been able to recognize that when I'm speaking directly at my watch, I'm much closer to my watch right. and triggering triggering Siri from that as compared to my laptop, which was somehow across the room and still, no, no, wait, <laughs> I got this. Yeah, so. that's, a, that's a great point. Um, I, my house, as anybody who knows me, is replete with smart speakers. <laughs> and I have, it's, it's really one of two problems, right? It's the problem where you're watching TV and all of a sudden the echo is like, oh, I think I heard my name. Allow me to interpret gibberish for the next 30 seconds and tell you something that's not useful to you. Or standing <laughs> over the smart speaker, furiously yelling at it because it was not listening to me at all. <laughs> like to the point where we are convinced that my uh, upstairs neighbors believe that my wife and I have a recalcitrant daughter named Alexa who we yell at just constantly. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so i I think the answer is this could get a lot better and honestly on the apple front i have two home pods sitting here and i have had the wake word turned off for those almost since day one because i found that they got so many misfires that they were just not useful and kind of to lisa's point i do use siri on my watch and my phone and it would always try to hand it off to the home pod and the home pod would be like i can't do that Sorry, and then nothing would happen. So, yeah, I, I think I get accidental things like these all the time, and I really wish that all of these companies would make them much better at sussing out, am I actually being talked to right now, and should I respond to that? Because there's a lot of room for improvement. What about you, Chris? 
Not a huge amount. So I don't have any Amazon devices at all or Google devices. And that's a, a partly a privacy thing. And well, it's partly a I live in the Apple ecosystem thing, but but there's not enough to pull me out of that to get, get those other devices because I am vaguely worried about privacy. It's the only sort of area in my mm-hmm. life where I am. The only sort of tinfoil hat I would put on is around sort of listening devices in, in my home. Um, so, But we do have a whole bunch of Apple devices, including one uh, HomePod. We don't really get many misfires, but the, the creepiest ones we get, and I don't know if anybody else with a HomePod gets this in particular, is when Siri mistakenly hears herself or himself being triggered, but hasn't heard a question. And so then just goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're, you're having a conversation and then there's i've got mine set to an australian woman's voice yeah. um currently um and just every now and then somebody goes uh-huh like, what was that <laughs> so I, I, i'm not i'm not a big fan not not a big fan uh wow i am uh with you on that one that little mm-hmm is very strange uh, i've got all of the smart assistants in my home and uh they go off at various times. I'm quite sensitive to saying the actual words. And for some reason, it's made me sensitive, sensitive seemingly to saying things that are similar to the Mm. actual words. Um, (laughs) But I'm currently sheltering in place with my partner and he routinely triggers the different ones. And so I've taken to just trying to sort of rewind live live conversation and think about what it was that he said that could possibly be uh, the trigger that caused it to go off uh, because it's it's fascinating to me what does cause it and what doesn't but anytime that happens uh, I just shout never mind from across the room just to try to make sure to both try try hosting several podcasts with someone named Lex and then oh no <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll pass on that uh thank you all for your answers on that topic let's go to our final topic which comes from lisa okay this is just i have serious fomo because my all of my computers allegedly don't have um sufficient processor power to provide virtual backgrounds in microsoft teams or or zoom which are the two meeting platforms i use the most I have been admiring everybody else's from galaxies to um, the Golden Gate Bridge to the weird open space office plan that a colleague of mine always puts up in the background as if to to make us think that he's really not working at home. (laughs) And what I want to know is, um, are you seeing a lot of virtual backgrounds in the Zoom or Teams or other video conferencing calls you have? What are the best backgrounds you've seen and Flex a little about the backgrounds you have. <laughs> wow, that's good. So one, I will say I don't I don't use Zoom a lot for meeting stuff in my line of work, but I do use it a lot for some podcasts. I will say the best I've seen is I've seen the Bridge of the Enterprise, uh, which is a solid one. Enterprise D, just so we're clear. Um, <laughs> that's great. And I, I saw online somewhere somebody did a video background of themselves where it was them walking in on themselves yeah. while they were on a meeting. And I thought that was very <laughs> funny and clever and a little dis- just disturbing enough, like slightly disturbing. It's just to open the door and then they're like, oh, no. And then they leave again. I was like, that was 
would be so weird. Um, most of the places I see Zoom backgrounds are actually when uh, I am playing in D&D campaigns over at the Incomparable, often with Micah. Uh, and we mm-hmm. have some good, we have some uh, fellow players there who really, I think, uh, try every week to bring their best background games, including uh, like we were fighting in a, a, a vineyard this past week. And there were people like putting up vineyards behind <laughs> them or haunted mansions or <laughs> castles or taverns. And I love how good that is. My background, unfortunately, of my office is so cluttered. I really, I need a green screen, but they're all sold out. Uh, okay. So I, I can't really use the virtual background. And that makes me very sad. One of these days, one of these days. Chris, what about you? So the other day, as, as you can hear, you're drawing me from my garden just now. The other day, I, I took a Zoom call out here and somebody went, oh, I love this background. Where did you get that? No, that's my actual garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a background. Oh, that's okay, funny. Two, Two examples of, of ones I think are really good. Uh, similar to the yours, Dan, I saw somebody who just recorded themselves sort of like looking attentive. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then just set that as a background and then just sodded off into the kitchen. <laughs> so there's just this thing of them just looking attentive in the corner. Uh, but the other one that was genuinely really sweet was a teacher had, uh, before he had left his school classroom, he'd taken a picture of the classroom and he used that when he was doing virtual lessons with the students just so they had that sort of sense of continuity in space. And I thought that was a genuinely brilliant use of the Zoom background tech. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so I love sweet. that. Um, I would say the ones that I've seen, I, it is kind of fun that uh, over at Twit, we took some photos of our studio, different studio spaces, and made those available to folks. So if they want to be doing their uh, own personal uh, video conferencing calls from the Twit studios, they can, since we you know, obviously have the studios closed down right now. Uh, but personally, my favorite one, uh, when I found out you can do video in the background, mm. um, right? Right before the shelter in place orders took uh, went into effect, I was at some tide pools uh, here in Northern California, and uh-huh. we came across a baby harbor seal um, that was stranded, um, and it was far, far away from its mom. It was underweight. We called Marine Mammal Rescue, who came out and said, wow, this is a little early for a harbor seal to even be born. Uh, so clearly, mm-hmm. there is something going on here, and they ended up rescuing it and getting it to safety. But but um, from a distance, uh, took some video, and so I had this this video of this adorable, most innocent-looking creature I've ever seen in my life, baby harbor seal in the background of my Zoom chat, uh, just sort of playing on a loop. It was just a short little video. So that has to be my flex for sure, because uh, oh, baby harbor yeah. seal is uh, doing well and, and fine in, the, in a marine mammal rescue location. Lisa, mm-hmm. round us out with yours. I have a colleague who has been just posting fantastic pictures of the galaxy behind him every time we talk. Mm. So Mm. it's like talking to somebody in space. And I love that. And like I said, I have another colleague who keeps loading different open office space backgrounds. (laughs) 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 And um, I can't figure out if it's really clever psychology where he's like, if I look like I'm all business, we'll remember (laughs) that we're working. Or... um, Or if there's some other motive behind it that I don't quite discern. Um, I will say I have serious virtual, serious virtual background FOMO right now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I have really enjoyed hearing about everybody else's. Um, unfortunately, when people Zoom with me, they'll see whatever posters we have up in the kitchen. Although I may have to readjust my chair so that they can behold my giant evil plant. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> or if... 
Oh my gosh, this thing is huge. Like it just it's grown like half a foot while we've been in quarantine. I think it's getting ready to eat us. And um <laughs> or you can see my daughter's artwork in, in her office downstairs. Nothing extraordinary, just everyday life. <laughs> All right, that is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. And this week our episode is brought to you by our very good friends, Rogue Amoeba and their app SoundSource. SoundSource is a sound control utility so good it should be built into Mac OS. Whether you're listening to podcasts or blasting music or streaming video, SoundSource is for everyone who uses audio on their Mac. I've been a SoundSource listener for years, and I find that it is incredibly useful in terms of being able to control what audio on my computer is at what level. So if you are on a lot of Zoom conferences these days, and maybe then you have to turn up the volume or something, and you switch to some music, and all of a sudden the music's blasting really loud, you can set individual volume levels for different apps. You can choose which devices uh, audio gets sent to. So whether it goes to your speakers or your headphones, you can decide that on a per app basis there's per app equalizers it's great there is basically every single thing you ever need to do with audio all in this handy little control panel everybody should check it out so for better sound quality you can boost volume levels you can add an equalizer even apply advanced audio units to any audio on your mac you can get fast access to your max audio devices so you don't have to dig around in system preferences and if you've got a display port or hdmi device that doesn't offer volume adjustment sound source can help it gives them a volume slider and the volume keys feature makes your keyboard control work too all of this is available right from your menu bar with SoundSource. Visit macaudio.com slash clockwise to check it out. You can download a free trial and save 20% with co- coupon code clockwise. That's macaudio.com slash clockwise and coupon code clockwise. Our thanks to the audio wizards at Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring the show. All right, this week's bonus question very, very quickly. Uh, we've all been stuck inside. What have you been watching or binging or reading, Chris? I just want happy, happy stuff. So I've gone to the happiest show on earth, my wife and I, when we finally persuade our daughter to sleep in the evening and sit down slumped in front of the television with our meal. We watch Parks and Rec. Mm, Nothing better. You cannot beat Parks and Rec. Great choice. (laughs) Micah? Uh, Yeah, I'm introducing my partner to all of the Star Trek franchise. Mm. And so we are currently watching Star Trek Voyager. Uh, so I'm reading a book called A People's History of Scotland, nice. actually, um, by Chris Va- Yes, by Chris Banbury. Well, I've only been to your beautiful country once, and it was humbling to realize how little I knew about the history. And so I've been trying to catch up on that. I am reading my way through a lot of the Nebula and Hugo Award nominees this year because I've been trying to read a lot more. And on TV, I've been binging uh, the show Gargoyles, which is a cartoon I watched when I was a teenager, and it holds up. It's really good. Um, All right. We have reached the end of the show. All that remains is to thank our fantastic guest this week, Christopher Thin. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And Lisa Schmeiser, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I love doing this podcast (laughs) with you guys. And Micah, we shall finish celebrating Earth Day, but we shall be back next week, and we remind everybody listening out there, until then, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.